16 going on 17. <laughs> Welcome to episode 16 of Have a Bless Gay, your weekly spiritual comedy podcast. I'm not a regular host. I'm a cool host. Your holy host, Tyler Martin. This has been a really fun week. I was just interviewed on Podcast Junkies, the podcast all about podcasting. If you haven't listened to it yet and you are interested in the creation and technical aspects of how I make this podcast, definitely check that out. And you will hear the magic of editing because we kept being disconnected throughout the entire interview, like a ridiculous amount. So I was like, who the hell knows what my answers are going to sound like? Was I even able to make any complete statements? But they did a great job at piecing bits together. That is episode 232 of Podcast Junkies. So let me know if you listen. I hope you are thriving, loving your week, living your best margarita-filled life, whether it's drowning in alcohol or it's a virgin, like me. <laughs> that's funny. See, that's the comedy part of this podcast. <laughs> Y'all, thank you for listening right here, right now. I just really want you to take a motherfucking moment and think of three things just three things that you are grateful for. And no, Lindsay, I do not want you to be like, uh, yeah, sure, Tyler, and not actually do it. Right now, three things, go. I was one of your top three things. OMG, stop it, Carl. You are making me blush. Down there. Well, let me tell you, Carl, I am grateful for you too. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sending me messages. I'm glad to know after last week's episode, I am not alone in beginning to meditate. Keep updating me on how that is going. And if you haven't reached out to me before, please do. Send me an email or DM me on social media at Have a Blessed Gay on all the platforms. And speaking of nacho cheese Doritos, I remember when I came out publicly. One of the things I said to the people I knew who were involved in churches that were anti-gay was that I would no longer attend a church like that. That for my own self-worth, I would not step foot into a church that did not accept and uplift me as an openly LGBTQ plus person. Most people understood. But I actually did get some backlash from people saying that I was abandoning the denomination I grew up in. They tried to guilt me. One even playing the victim card, saying that not only was I abandoning the denomination, I was also abandoning the Christian faith, and I was abandoning them. And my response was this, I would never ask you to go into a building filled with 400 people that despised who you were, that openly discriminated against you, that wanted to take rights away from you. I would never ask you to participate in a group that said you were going to burn in hell. Why would you ask that of me? That type of intense loyalty, where someone is putting a religion above humanity, that can be quite harmful. And the shame and guilt that accompanies that loyalty can really fuck with a person. Many religions and churches survive on that loyalty program. 
aka fear, making people feel full of guilt over the tiniest of things. So leaving a church? Yeah, that's like one of the most guilt-ridden things you can do. Now, I never felt guilty or ashamed for leaving the Church of Christ, the denomination I was raised in. But I definitely have felt guilty about things like not attending a church every week, or especially guilty when I've questioned Christianity as a religion. The child in me that was told to never question, to do what I was told, to always fear, has really struggled with my curious nature. That person who said I was abandoning the church not only felt a loyalty that was put above my worth as a person, but they were also proud to stand by their church. It made them feel strong, a part of something, and I get that. It's nice to feel powerful. I can relate to those teachings. I mean, even as a Texan, I was raised to be proud as fuck of having things that were bigger, barbecue that is better, and sweet tea that contains more sugar than actual tea. And in that same way, I was raised to believe that Christianity was the only way to salvation, that my denomination was the only way to salvation. Hell, that my specific church was the only way to salvation. Some churchgoers become blind followers, like cult members, or even worse, obnoxious sports fans. You know who you are. When people truly believe their way is the only way, I think they've missed the big picture. What good would it do me, or others for that matter, for me to participate in a gay-hating church? What is a female-identifying person gaining from going to a church that will not allow her to speak? What is an anti-racist achieving by participating in a church that is not in support of Black Lives Matter, or even worse, silent about racism? If church is primarily meant to cultivate an uplifting community, it makes you think. And if you do feel guilty or ashamed for questioning or even leaving a church, religion, or group, just know it's normal. Try to find a community that will uplift and empower you. A community that spreads positivity and love. Someone who has had the bravery to question, to change their whole theology, to alter their whole worldview, is my guest today, the inspiring openly gay pastor, Brandon Robertson. Brandon Robertson is an author, activist, theologian, and serves as the lead pastor of Mission Gathering Christian Church in San Diego, California. Named by the Human Rights Campaign as one of the top faith leaders leading the fight for human rights, Brandon has worked with political and social leaders around the world to end conversion therapy and promote LGBTQ rights. Other than his own books he's written, he's also written for publications like Time Magazine, NBC, and The Washington Post, to name a few. He has also been an honored speaker at renowned institutions like the White House, Oxford University, and the Parliament of the World's Religions. So, he's like, kinda busy, I guess? <laughs> His newest book is called Nomad, A Spirituality for Traveling Light. It was just released in the U.S. on August 11th. We chat about his new book, his evolution from being a very conservative to a very progressive theologian, what role a church has in our modern world, and how each and every person has holiness within them. 
Enjoy this awesome conversation. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at betterhelp.com slash gay to check it out and get what? 10% off. The best part is you don't even have to leave your house. They offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor, video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. All counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board. In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash gay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash gay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash gay. Brandon Robertson, tell us who you are and what the hell you do. <laughs> what a good question. Um, who am I? I've been trying to figure that out for a long time. Uh, but right now, uh, I currently serve as a pastor here in San Diego. I'm gay uh, and a progressive Christian who spends a lot of time when I'm not pastoring, writing and doing work uh, kind of at the intersections of progressive spirituality and progressive politics and social justice. So um, really, I I float around between those three things. And uh, outside of that, yeah, I'm just a a new Southern California uh, guy figuring out this crazy thing of life. So... (laughs) Living it up in the sun. Well, congratulations on the U.S. release of your latest book. It came out on August 11th, and it is called Nomad, A Spirituality for Traveling Light. Throughout the book, you go into detail about what a nomad is and how you relate to that word. But if you had to briefly describe what a nomad is in just a few sentences, what would that sound like? Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I think what when I'm talking about a nomad, I'm talking about what I see in my own life and what I've seen in so many others uh, over the past few years. There's this massive move of people outside of organized religion and towards a broader understanding of spirituality. And so I think a nomad is where so many of us are at, people who grew up in churches, grew up in religious traditions, but no longer find those traditions to be helpful for all sorts of reasons, uh, not the least of which is their racism, sexism, and homophobia. Uh, But then we also end up still being really compelled by God, spirit, life, universe, whatever we want to call it. And so we keep wandering around trying to find places that resonate with what we think is true and what we believe deeply about the world. And so a nomad, I just think, is where uh, so many folks, especially in 
the U.S., as we've seen the trends over the past few years, are moving. It's a, it's a posture that people are adopting as we engage with religion and spirituality. Now, if anyone wants the long-form answer to what a nomad is, you gotta read the book. And speaking of the book, although it is your latest release, it is not your newest written work. Would you talk about your journey with this book and why the release was delayed for years? Totally. So uh, this book was initially signed as a book contract back in 2014, I believe, is when I first got the the offer. I was a conservative evangelical student going to a conservative Bible college in Chicago, studying to be a pastor. I was closeted, and uh, I had I had a blog where I was writing about religion and spirituality. And so this conservative publisher reached out and said, "Hey, we we like the blog. We'd love to see you write a book about millennial spirituality." And so I signed this book deal, was super stoked. Uh, it, being a college kid, getting this book deal, it was like a dream come true. And yeah. then um, I ended up graduating college and really uh, moving back home to D.C. and starting to wrestle with both not feeling like I really fit within evangelicalism anymore. Because during Bible college, I experienced a lot of fear and judgment. They tried to expel me a number of times, not for anything fun. Uh, it was because I had beliefs and ideas that I was expressing on my blog that the school thought were heretical. And so they uh, really kind of marginalized me even at my college. And I started asking myself, like, why would I want to be a part of a religious system that doesn't allow me to be honest and to ask questions? And I also started in college to ask questions about my sexuality. And so um, when folks around the school heard about that, uh, they asked me to do a year of reparative therapy. So all of that happened within like a two year period um, around the time I got my book deal. And I found myself so disillusioned with who I was in regards to sexuality and who I was in regards to my religious affiliation. And so when I got home to D.C., um, I ended up getting a job for an organization called Evangelicals for Marriage Equality. And essentially, this organization was not super radical. It was a group of slightly progressive evangelicals trying to advocate for the civil right of LGBT people to be married um, within the Christian world. So we were telling churches, it's fine if you don't believe in gay marriage, but you don't have the right to tell people they can't get married civilly in uh, who are not a part of your tradition. But apparently that was way too far because my publisher after <laughs> I turned in my manuscript, they sent me an email and said, hey, we don't think we can publish this book because of your stance on marriage equality. So unless you can sign this uh, statement, which was a couple Bible verses on a piece of paper talking about homosexuality being an abomination, they said, if you can't sign this, then we're going to have to cancel the book deal at that time. Of course, I was advocating publicly for marriage equality, and I had just started coming out to some of my friends, and I told them with integrity I couldn't sign that. And so they canceled that book deal, um, and the long story short is, like a week later, Time Magazine did an article on it, but they also, in that article, accidentally outed me. <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, the headline was Young Evangelical Leader Loses Book Deal After Coming Out. The thing was, I hadn't come out yet. So my family, my friends, everyone really found out that I was gay in that article. Wow. Um, 
and yeah, pushed me in a whole new direction in life. And so I, I didn't, I kind of gave up hope in publishing the book. Um, a year or so later, it got picked up by a British publisher and was released in the UK. Um, and that was fun, but then I never thought it'd get published again. And I, I've published four or five other books since then and kind of thought Nomad was done. And then last year, this incredible progressive Christian publisher reached out and said, we've just bought the book and we're going to release it next fall. Um, I didn't really have any idea what was happening, but, uh, and here we are, they finally have released it and it's finally available in the U S market, which like you said, it feels like I've evolved so much in the five or six years since I started writing the book, but it does kind of feel like the perfect ending to this story. It has been with you through several shifts and changes in your life. How has that impacted the book itself um, during these years? Did you rewrite any of it or um, was it just sitting like a hopeful orphan waiting to be adopted someday? <laughs> what, what was that process like? Did you continue a relationship with a book throughout those years? That's a great question. So one of the sad things about being an author dealing with real publishers is that we have very uh, little rights over the book once it's signed to a publisher. So I actually wanted to do some edits to this new edition and the publisher was like, hey, uh, we're not doing that. So it's the exact same uh, book as it was five years ago. And I was a little worried because, yeah, you're right. My my beliefs and my outlook on life and the way I live my life is so different than what it was six years ago. But I was actually really pleasantly surprised um, that when I went back and reread the book about a year ago when I knew it was going to be published again, while there's language in the book that I might not use, um, for instance, I, I really kind of, I refer to God as he, um, and I make some jokes that are just still have a little evangelical flavor to them that are just not funny anymore to me. Um, but other than that, the broad concepts um, have been the same, and I've been really surprised at how much the book really does capture who I am, um, what I believe, and what I try to do as a pastor, which is really to help people be more open with our questions, uh, not feel like we have any of the right answers, because I think God is infinite and we are finite, and so we should just accept the fact that everything we're going to say about God is probably wrong. And so that comes with a level of humility. And I really just want people to kind of live more whole, healthy lives. And that's really where the book ends up. And um, so in that sense, I was surprised and I feel like it really resonates with who I am still, uh, despite some of the, the language and the stories and some of the things that I wish I could have updated. But yeah. Well, and now it's almost like an open journal. It's basically like a time capsule of where you were. And I think that's a really special gift to be able to see your progress, especially with the idea of growth being such a major theme in the book. And here you are, five years later, evolved. You are living out what you preach, showing you yourself do change and evolve. But I want to look even further back in your story to when you got into Christianity. Would you talk through that time of your life, coming from such a dysfunctional home, finding community within church, and then later struggling with your sexual orientation and faith labels, a journey many marginalized people will relate to, I'm sure. Totally. Yeah, I think 
I've been reflecting on kind of that early journey that I took, um, and I have a lot more empathy now for the person I was, because like you said, I grew up in an abusive alcoholic family, and by the age of 12, I was really uh, like depressed, suicidal, and having panic attacks quite literally every day, and just had no real sense that my life had any meaning or purpose. And so when my neighbors invited me to start going to their fundamentalist Baptist church, um, I thought it was a good way just to get out of the neighborhood on Sundays, and so I started going. And while I was there, despite all the things I disagree with um, and think are really toxic about that tradition, the two things they did really well were, one, they did welcome me. Now, of course, they didn't know, and I didn't know I was gay, and that would later become a, a contingency um, about whether I could be welcomed or not. But they did embrace me and were glad that I was there and there was a real sense of community. So I think they did that really well. And then they also offered me certainty, which was that there was a God, that my life had a plan, that if I believed the right things, if I joined the right church, that my life could have purpose and meaning. And to a boy whose life was so tumultuous and nothing seemed solid, uh, that really appealed to me. And I kind of had a conversion experience and gave my life, as we would say back then, to, to Christ and kind of jumped headfirst into this community. And it did save my life. Like, I, I don't think I could have continued going on as I was as a teenager for much longer. Um, and that journey helped me so much in that period. But very quickly, my own personality is one that likes to be curious. I am somebody who likes to ask questions and because my family wasn't religious, I didn't feel any particular obligation to uh, not ask questions or to maintain a certain set of beliefs. And so I would go home and read stuff on the internet and watch Christian television and go back to church and I would start asking questions. And very quickly, my pastors and youth ministers there said, you're not allowed to do that. Like that's dangerous. That's gonna hurt your soul uh, and pull you away from God if you keep asking these different questions. And eventually that led to me being asked to leave that church because I kept asking questions and I kept expanding my perspective. And um, kind of a long story short is uh, over the next few years, I had a number of different communities, uh, another church, uh, my college community, where I would continue to go to these places encounter different people, different perspectives that I was told were fundamentally wrong. Um, I would go places where God wasn't supposed to be, whether that was Boys Town in Chicago, the gay neighborhood, or uh, whether that was uh, Devon Street in Chicago, where my college was, which is a heavily Muslim population. And I'd be there and I'd experience love and grace and uh, just fun people that didn't seem like demonic, anti-Christian people like my theology was telling me they were supposed to be. And what I discovered was that when your theology and reality collide, reality usually wins. And for me, I just kept seeing that this system that I was believing in was so rooted in fear that the things that it said we should be certain about were not certain at all. And that all of the people outside of the system were actually for the most part, really good people trying to do their best in the world. And that just kind of pushed me on this journey to keep asking more questions and to keep exploring more. And it's, I think, in the end, it's led me to this posture today. I talked about it a bit earlier, where 
I really do feel quite humble as like a spiritually, I mean, and religiously, like I stand up in front of my church and say, I don't have the answer. So please, anything I say this Sunday, I reserve the right to say the exact opposite thing next Sunday, because <laughs> we're, we're talking about God, like it's an infinite thing that humans have been trying to comprehend for thousands of years, and none of us has, have gotten it right. So let's just be humble, let's be curious. And I think that it's made my life just so much more enjoyable. And I've gotten to be surrounded by people with so many different backgrounds and beliefs. And the biggest thing is I'm no longer afraid of others and of difference. And um, and that's what I really hope for my religious communities that I came from is I just see them so imprisoned by the sense of fear. And uh, that's just no way to live. That doesn't bring joy or life. Well, within the book, you say Christians are more known for what we're against than what we're for, which really hit me and it totally ties into what you're saying right now you discuss the power of fear and how it brings people together and yeah. you mentioned the kids church song with the lyrics that go i may never march in the infantry ride in the cavalry shoot the artillery I may never fly or the enemy, but I am in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And I cannot tell you when I read that, I legit almost threw my computer because I was cracking up so hard because I sang that song as a child in church. And it is just so bizarre looking back, like, what the hell were we doing? Um, and it's just a great example of, how even as children, Christians are being told that they must be in opposition, that mm. the world doesn't get them, that they must fight and prevail in spite of evil. And as you talk about in the book, that ideology is not what Jesus taught at all, which mm. is what Christianity should be, because it is following Christ. So if we yep. are following Christ and looking at his teachings, um, it just doesn't add up, correct? Yes. I think, I mean, one thing as you were talking that is something that I've thought a lot about too, is how often Christians, especially conservative Christians in America, like we demonize Islam and other religions for being militaristic and violent. But then you look at like, literally, what, what is the message that they were teaching us as kids, um, both glorifying the modern military, but also saying we need to be in an army, like you said, and we need to go oppose the enemy. And oftentimes the enemy is other people. And I think that's what has brought what I see as evangelical Christianity in our country right now is being systemically dismantled um, and the true colors are coming out. We see Jerry Falwell Jr. this week finally stepping out of leadership at Liberty University because here he is as this prominent Christian leader whose dad created the religious right, who spends all of his time opposing the rights of LGBT people, opposing women's rights, opposing uh, Black Lives Matter. And yet here he is grabbing women, taking pictures with his pants unzipped, uh, drinking alcohol, which is uh, against his values, the Liberty University values, all the things that they believe make them righteous. He's not doing, but he's spending all of his time and energy and money trying to feel righteous by opposing and demonizing others. And that is exactly the kind of Christianity that I 
came into as a young boy. I mean, I used to be a street preacher in Baltimore as a teenager, and we would go. Uh, yeah, there are these terrible pictures with my bowl cut on uh, Facebook still that I've now hidden from everyone. Oh my but God. it's me in this, like, a suit on a Wednesday evening down in Baltimore holding up signs about gay marriage and sin and abortion and preaching at people. And it's like, as I reflect on why I was doing it, it was because I was told that I'm a, as a Christian, I'm at war with the world. And anybody who doesn't think like me, act like me, vote like me, love like me is of the enemy. And I need to be out there telling them that they're wrong and trying my best to convert them and make them right. And like you said, look at the gospels, the four gospels in the New Testament. Jesus never, ever, ever does anything close to that. In fact, the people that I would have opposed as a young boy are the people Jesus is literally chilling at the dinner table with having a glass of wine while the religious people outside are snickering and condemning him for being this unrighteous false teacher. It's like Christianity has got it backwards. And and it, it's no wonder our churches are being emptied and people are leaving because why would we want to be a part of something like you said, that looks nothing like the person we say that we're following. Yeah, I think a major failure with most religions is that people begin to worship the religion itself versus the entity for which the religion was created for. And there is a major difference between the two. And unfortunately, I probably more often see people worshiping their religion. There's a really funny, relatable example you give in your book, the elitist nature when it even comes down to which Bible Christians think is the most holy of Bibles. Some battle for the King James Version, while others proclaim the New International Version as the Bible. And, you know, when we have arguments around human rights, all the way down to these arguments about song choices and people's clothing and what decorations are used for the Christmas tree in the lobby, then it makes you think, what the hell is the purpose of this? And I'm curious, with all that you've gone through, your evolution, where you are now, what do you think is the purpose of church? Yeah, that's a really good question. And as a pastor, I'll be honest, like, I've been having these conversations with my staff um, during COVID-19 because the truth is a lot of what we do, nobody's missing. <laughs> like it feels really good to be sleeping in on Sunday mornings. And there's some real questions about like, why do we do what we do? And, and if it's not working, if it's not actually impacting people's lives, if people aren't missing it, then either we need to try something else or perhaps churches are done. And uh, I don't I don't think churches are done. I don't think organized religion is going anywhere. And I'm not just saying that because my paycheck uh, relies on it. It's uh, <laughs> religion. Religion has been around. Organized religion has been around since the dawn of consciousness in humanity. There's some role for it to play. But the problem is either our religion has become purely ritualistic and people don't connect with the prayers we're praying and the songs we're singing and they just don't relate to our lives and our world, or the religion has become so connected to political beliefs um, and sold out for privilege and power that people are just disgusted by it. And so I think what COVID-19 has shown me about why church um, should exist is really two things. One, 
community is really hard to find. And for folks who don't belong to a religious institution, it's hard to understand this. But like for those of us who grew up in churches, when you leave that, while there's so much liberation that comes from it, you realize like being an adult, it's hard to find a community of people. It's hard to find close connections, people that you can lean on, um, at least for a lot of folks. And that's what the religious community in all religious traditions has always served as, is a place for people to gather, think about deep things, support one another, walk with each other through all of life's craziness. And so I think we need to learn how to do community better, uh, not just creating a club for friends, but also how we can embed ourselves in our neighborhoods and our cities and how we can actually benefit the communities we're in um, so that if the church were to close down, the neighborhood would actually miss us, not because we were having great Sunday services, but because we were helping out the elementary school with supplies and we were dealing with those experiencing homelessness and helping get them off the streets and into resource places. Um, so for me, I think in terms now, not of organized religion, but religion for organizing. I think religion, especially the Jesus uh, way that he taught and embodied, is really about not gathering to worship God, but worshiping God through serving each other, serving our communities. And if the church can step up, actually care about and help people care about their communities, and actually provide them a sense of connection to other people who share the same values as them, I feel like then perhaps we have something to offer um, that, that will actually make the world better and make people's lives better. But the church is certainly not the place where truth needs to be dispensed because no pastor or priest has the truth. It's not the place where God needs to be worshipped because the Bible's clear. God doesn't like our songs and our rituals. God desires justice and righteousness. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of my musing right now about the role of church. No, it makes complete sense. So many good things from what you just said. Uh, something that needs to be put on a damn bumper sticker <laughs> is it is not organized religion, but religion to organize. What? That is so great. I love that. Um, I love that so much. It's so perfect. Yes. Yeah. What good is it? Is it just for us to feel nice? Um, because that's, that's something for sure. But um, what you're talking about is something different and, and more impactful in a bigger way. And I think that's really beautiful. And something else I think is beautiful is the way you define the word holy. You talk about the concept of holiness in the book and how it is attainable for everyone. What does being holy mean to you? And how can people embrace their own holiness? Yeah, that chapter in the book is one, um, it's it's kind of like a, a trick I was trying to do for people who have eyes to see, because really, um, if you take the word holy every time it's mentioned in that chapter and replace the word queer, um, you'll actually get at what I'm trying to say, perhaps more, more clearly, because I think to be holy is not about purity. Uh, the, the ancient definition of holiness, biblically, is describing God's uniqueness. So when we say God is holy, we're saying God is different than we are. God is unique. God has a, a different way of being than we do. And when we say a place is holy, we're saying there's something special and different and unique about that place. And 
So when the Bible calls us time and time again, there are verses that say, be holy for I am holy. Um, it's calling us to embrace the uniqueness, the quirkiness, the queerness of who we are. And I think if that's true holiness, embracing authenticity and queerness and uniqueness, then the greatest sin is conformity. It's trying to make everyone look the same, act the same, love the same, believe the same. I think the true uh, healing whole path that we're called to be on is the path where we allow and celebrate everyone to express the fullness of who they are, how they view the world, how they believe, what they look like, how they love, without any fear or judgment. And in that, we will find ourselves continually challenged to grow and change and to be refined and to evolve. Um, and so that's essentially kind of what the whole chapter is trying to get at, is to say, let's move away from this impulse to conform, to make ourselves look like one another, to fit in to a group. And instead, what if the church embraced holiness as queerness and began to really celebrate when people rose up with different identities or different beliefs or different political perspectives? And, and how could that actually help us evolve quicker as a people, grow more close to God, to divine in all people? Um, so for me, to be holy is to be queer. It's to embrace diversity. And uh, that is, I think, one of my primary missions, uh, so to speak, in the American church today is to go into spaces and say, listen, when you're trying to make everyone act, believe, look, vote like you, you're doing this thing wrong. And we know where that ends. It ends in bad places. Uh, society only progresses in diversity. It only progresses when there is freedom of thought and freedom of expression and freedom of us to be who we are in our fullness. Yes, yes, and yes. For everyone who wants more of the inspiring you, where can people find you, your book, Nomad, and keep up with all the work that you're doing? Well, thank you again. And I would say uh, for Nomad, we have a website called nomadbook.org uh, that has the links to everything there. And then my website, brandonrobertson.com, uh, is filled with everything that I've ever done. So if people want to know more, social media, all of that is on that page. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really, really appreciate it. It's so fun. Thanks for having me. I loved talking with Brandon. And here are my main takeaways. Number one, don't fear questioning. If you're being told not to question something, then there's something wrong and probably something they don't want you to find out about the system. Number two, it's okay to change your stance on something. In fact, we should all be questioning and evolving as much as we can. Enjoy being ever-changing, knowing you will never arrive at a final answer to a lot of things. Number three, whether you're a part of a religion, a sports team, or a candle-making class, be aware of your loyalties. Examine any guilt or shame that accompanies it, and just ask yourself if it is something positive for you to be a part of. Number four, not organize religion, but religion to organize. Number five, being authentically you is being holy. 
I have posted links in the show notes for Brandon and their book. Please check them out. And definitely make sure you are following Have a Blessed Gay. Subscribe and leave a review. I super duper appreciate your support. Let me know what you thought of these topics and if there's anything you would specifically like to hear discussed. You can reach me at the email in the show notes or DM me on social media at Have a Blessed Gay on all the platforms. But listen, because this content is heavy at times, you might not be able to laugh it off. And if you are struggling and having a hard time, I always post helplines in the show notes. So please reach out if you need to. Just remember this, you are special, you are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.